everyone. Welcome to VIP Boxing's Bell to Bell podcast this week. We're on episode number 70. We have veterans now at this, I suppose. Uh, as always, if you leave us a review, that'll be fantastic. Um, YouTube, whatever, just say good things. That'd be great. You know me, Steve Lillis. John Evans is in a, with a top corner there with that poster he has behind him every week. Um, with us today is, uh, well, a regular on, on the podcast, a man who's held every license apart from the MCs. We still don't know where he's going to get himself that. John Pegg, how are you, John? All good, mate. It's always good to be on, uh, on here with you, Pear, talking boxing. Yeah. Uh, nice and fast. It makes a nice change. Good. So, how are you? As, as a matter, you know what? Just one question because it's not on the topics tonight, and something we've discussed a bit. And I mentioned you last week on the pod um, about um, oh September. You said to me, but you know, it's, it's still not great. <laughs> but by November, it's going to be getting back to normal. It'll be a lot easier for us matchmakers. I don't think it is from what I'm hearing. Um, it's not as easy as it was, but it is getting better. One of the main problems is. A lot of the foreign boxers really ramped the prices up because a lot of new matchmakers come in who was yeah, paying I've them heard. that money, and now they won't budge. And then also another problem is um, matchmakers who don't do their own shows they want to stick to the big money COVID prices, whereas people who are doing their own shows are kind of like we've got to get back to normal, otherwise we're all going to cripple each other. So there's about four, there's about four or five of us who are all kind of saying right. That's the price. That's the normal price. And when we're desperate, there's a few people who are going, oh, well, this is... And we're like, yeah, but you're not having to have three days off work and sit in a bubble now. Yeah, so yeah. you can't ask for that kind of money. And it is slowly getting back there. I've, I've matched two of my own shows and um, only had a couple of real hiccups where silly money's concerned. On the other show, it, it, it's more the fact that there's so many fights going on, uh, shows going on. Yes. Yeah. More than ever. The lads who were there, it's the same kind of lads that was there. And, and the good, reliable ones are becoming reliable again. But it's the fact that there's so many shows, so everyone's kind of like trying to outbid each other. Yeah, I've heard um, a couple promoters. I'm not going to start naming them because I don't know if it's true. Are, 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 are killing the market with what they're paying uh, for figures that don't add up. How much of a problem is that, John, for, for you all? Well, it, it can be a problem because I, I rung somebody up and I said, he's so-and-so available. And he says, oh, he got this amount for a full rounder last week. And it was like three times and more than what you would get anywhere oh, else. And I went, okay, no problem. I says, well, you know, when you're booking my lad next week, I says, are you paying that? And then he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he, he kind of backpedaled then, you know what I mean? So you've just got to say to people, okay, if that's what you're going to charge us, you do know what that you're, you're getting charged that. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, if there's a nice payday, payday out there for lads, great. But people have got to realise it's not the norm. The quicker we get it back to the normal, the better. Don't you, you know, because there's so many shows, and I think people's attitudes have changed to what, watching boxing on TV and stuff. What do you think is the ideal number of fights now a card should have? Because we see 12, 13. I've seen, I've seen 13 once, but 12, 11, 10... Seven or eight seems about well, right. Yeah. You'll you have seen 13 before the pandemic, but there's a limit yeah. on the pandemic. The now. limit now, isn't there? Yeah. 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 And the York Hall can only have 10. Because of a um, change in facilities. Yeah. I think for a small hall show, I think it's more to do with the arena. If you've got an arena up to 900, 1,000 people, seven fights is perfect with a decent yeah. total fight. If yeah. you've got more than 1,000, if you've got like a small, like an old Aston Villa-led centre, by all means go up to 10 or 12. 
But yeah. if you're going to try and keep the fans in there, which you should be trying to do, and not just kind of put them through a conveyor belt as their their guy wins a full round and they move out. If you're trying to keep them in like we do with a total fight at the top of the bill, you need to make sure the arena fits the amount of fights. Like when we do shows at Aston Villa um, Holt Suite, we do seven fight shows, very rarely do more because yeah. to get each lad selling and building up a nice crowd, it only works up to seven, any more than that. And it's kind of diminishing returns and it, it doesn't add up anymore. So it, I think it depends on the arena rather than the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. I was at, um, I was working at Kevin Marie's show on Saturday night and he was slated for 12 fights originally. Then it was down to 10 and there was a couple medical issues and that it went down to eight. And I thought that was ideal. Started at half six, finished um, just after 10 o'clock and there were two stoppages. The, the, the only trouble with eight... I, Oh, sorry, John. Go on. No, go on, John. You're the guest. Go on. The only, the only trouble with eight, Steve, is like on a small hall show, it's the worst number you can have because uh, up to seven, your doctors and your officials are in like a certain right. bracket. The moment, if you have a four twos, one extra four twos on a seven fight card, it will cost you about an extra £1,200. Wow, I never knew that. So that one extra fight, I mean, he was still 10 till Wednesday. I mean, there was one... One medical issue there of a boxer that wasn't bad. And what annoyed him was they had the medical reports weeks ago and didn't look at them till Wednesday. So Yeah, yeah. Well, if you, if, you have seven fight, if you have seven fights on, it's two doctors at 500 quid each. If you go seven, uh, eight to ten fights, it's three doctors at 600 quid each. Wow. You get an extra referee. And there's also a chance that you'll get an extra timekeeper or you might have to play the other timekeeper time and a half. And that's all for that eight fight. Wow. So if you're going to have eight, you might as well have ten. Do you know gotcha. what I mean? Well, fair enough there. That's mad. I, I didn't know that. And that's why people should listen to this podcast. Because it, <laughs> what it's about, what, what things like this are about, is people like you, John, telling people, even those of us who work in the game don't know. So uh, fair play. That's, that's interesting, that. Anything else yeah, to add, Mr. Mr. Evans? Sorry, John. No, no. The only reason I was wondering is because there's so few opponents, so obviously... A lot of them are going the distance so we can be available the following week. I've been to a couple of these long shows and even the officials, you can tell they're getting bored of it. You know, after six or seven, 40, 36s and a 60, 54. And the shows just seem like they're dragging a little bit. So I'm just wondering with this new era, with the way things are changing, is it time to, to just cut it down, make things shorter, sharper with a good main event? Save we them on a, the undercard for that. But you just we, explained we it about the venues, John. Show to we had a four-round show two weeks ago, yeah. and basically what had happened, the show had been cancelled that one of my kids was fighting for a Midlands title, and he's yeah. 30 years old. It, it is world title, basically. And it, so I said, we'll put you on the next show. He's got a, he's got a holiday of a lifetime booked in New York two weeks after the show. So I've literally had to put a show on just for his Midlands title. I've done it in a small venue that holds five or 600. Um, I put three other bouts on, matched them decently, we sold seven and a half hundred tickets. Yeah. So we've done the three full rounders. I had a little talk about the Larry Holmes, Jerry Cooney show we're do doing. We basically took an hour. I thought, well, we've got a good 10 round fight now that will hopefully take us another hour. Everyone's got the money's worth. The kid only walks out, never scored a stoppage in his life, lands an absolute right <laughs> hand from God and wins in two minutes. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, we've got an hour and 20 minutes. The only good thing was the kid who'd sold all the tickets won the Midlands title in absolute great style. So his fans was happy anyway. Yeah, I was like, oh man, what happened there? 
<laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, uh, I think we're going to press on now. And I think the first one, you've got all your bell and everything ready, John. Everything's ready. I mean, yeah. the first fellas you're going to talk about, I don't think they, 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 I don't think they know what the Midlands area title is, but um, you far away, John, with round one. I don't know. Canelo probably fought for one of his little belts when he was 15 years old, didn't he? In a, over there, in, oh, just over the border. But I'm wondering what you two think about all the rumours about Canelo Golovkin 3. From watching Golovkin at weekend, it, it was an exciting fight he had with Morata. You know, it was great to watch and Morata did, did pretty well. But for the first time, I thought Golovkin looked old. He slowed down a little bit in his last couple of fights, but Morata was hurting him badly to the body, wasn't he? He was landing at will almost. And it just took a little bit of the steam out of his third fight, something I never thought I'd say. The first two fights between them had so many questions, didn't we, surrounding it. But I honestly think the only question about a third fight would be, can Golovkin last the distance? You know, he's going to have to go up away. He, he looked old. He was getting hurt badly for the first time. And it just took a bit of steam out of it for me, seeing how he, how he looked on Saturday. I don't want to see it at all. No. It's, like, um, it's like the third Jeff Fennick-Azuma Nelson fight for me. It doesn't make any difference to either of those guys' legacies. It's yeah. not a fight I want to see. The results won't really mean a lot to me because, like you say, it's just whether he can get the distance. It should be one each. It's not one each. Don't worry about it. Two great fights. Don't tarnish the legacy for Golovkin. And Canelo has got bigger fights than that. At his stage, you've got so many fights left in the career. Don't waste a three-month camp and a, and a big super fight on a 40-year-old who, who deserves more respect than that. That's how I look at it. Look, I'm the same as you. I don't want it to happen. I'd love to see him go out of the top like Kawasaki did after his couple fights in America against, albeit faded, Jones and Hopkins. Love to see him go out. Love to see him go like Lennox Lewis did on that heavyweight war against Vitaly Klitschko. But you know what? It, you know, and it's me being cynical with boxing. And you know, John, you're in the end. You've forgotten more than most of us know. You know, that fight still generates a lot of money people will still buy it, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'll say. You know, you say there's super fights out there for Canelo. Maybe Burt Baturbi, if that's still one of the richest fights for him out there. Yeah. Golovkin yeah. Street. And they are, I agree with you. You're nothing to prove at all, Golovkin. I still, I still think he'll look at it, Canelo. He's a businessman. Eddie Earn will look at it as a promoter. And they'll think, well, hold on here. We could go in September in Las Vegas and we'll fight him. Um, fighting for the third time. We're going to pack out whatever that venue they go to, yeah, do business on pay-per-view. People will watch it. You know, there'll be us boxing hardcore, not wanting it. And, you know, if not, who does he fight in September? John Ryder, maybe. Yeah, they're talking of. So, I th I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Oh, I no, I totally agree. But I didn't agree with Roberto Duran fighting William Jumpy no. either. And it's the same kind of fight. Yeah. That's the same. Round two, um, one you wanted to speak about, John, but I had it on my list uh, as well. Um, IFL, um, I, I film TV, I film London. I just want to say, I'm going to be really, really honest here. When they started out, I can remember them with Jane Couch and Coogan turning up in press conferences, and I thought, how on earth is this going to work? Okay, I'm old. You know, I'm 60 years of age, um, so it's not my style of journalism. I've got a print background. And I thought, how, how it's going to work? But what I do want to say is, boy, that it's changed things how the media works in boxing. I think now, you know, I've, I've been, I've got, I've known, got to know Coogan very well. James Helder, who was with him before, is a great friend, you know, a good, was a good friend of mine on the road. We still speak occasionally. Um, 
I just think how well it's done. A billion hits last week. Um, and all I can do is give it respect and say, um, you know, even if it isn't the style of how I'd interview someone, it's done so much for boxing. Um, and, you know, you know, when you go in the pub and you someone who's a boxing casual says, I was watching that on IFL. It's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant what they've done. I mean, you know, I was on Box Nation for years, for a good few years, and you wouldn't go in a pub and a casual would say, I watched the interview with Sansa on Box Nation. They talk IFL. I think they've done absolutely fantastic. And all credit to Coogan, James Heller, who was there before him, and all the team that's with him now. I think it's been brilliant for boxing, and I've been proven so wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's proven wrong. It was just an unknown, wasn't it? Yeah. I suppose there's things happening now where we look at them and think, well, that's unknown. How can, how can that work? But it was an unknown that the new technology made huge. You know what I mean? It's like, if that had been there 20 years before, I've got no doubt that's what you would have been doing, Steve. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, yeah, look, how you adapt- right. yeah. look how you're adapting now with, it, with, with what we're doing here. Yeah. I think it's just humans adapt. So when something new comes along, they find a way to do it. What, what do you John, think, do you John? Think it's made, how's, how's it made your job? Do you, has it put more pressure on uh, fighters to want to stay undefeated because we, you know, we don't want people criticising them on this, or has it made it so that the big fights become more important and you have to you you work harder to get the big fights made? How's it changed your job? I tell you where it, it's not changed so much like that because fighters who want to fight want to fight. Fighters who don't really want to yeah, fight so. don't really want to fight. But the problem being is because some of the guys who do this are either friends or fans, which is okay, but they're not really like interviewing fighters like like they're a fighter. They're interviewing them like they're the next big thing. I've actually had two people pull out because they've watched, not IFL, but watched another similar kind of thing and said, oh, this guy's an absolute killer because they've interviewed them like, like, like hero worshipping them and it's made them look absolutely brilliant. And I'm like, really, they're not that good. You know, not as good as what you think. But, yeah, so so that's the only problem. Whereas a, a proper dyed-in-the-wool journalist interviews a guy and explores his background, whether it's good or bad, some of the guys do it a little bit more, you know. And what it has done is in, in, it's created a lot of monsters, guys that just do interviews by email as well. But that's another topic for another day. Um, and it don't get me started. Round three, how did you, something we touched on last week, John, about scoring knockdowns. Good yes, to hear right. from you it's on this. A- it's a little bugbear of mine because you see people on, on um, social media, on the forums, and they say, oh, it was a 10-8 round because he scored a knockdown. And I'm like, no, it's not. A knockdown is worth a point. And they say, no, because no. I say, if you've got someone who's narrowly winning a round and they score a left hook, a flash knockdown, that makes it 10-8. Now, if that person's narrowly losing a round and they'd scored the exact same knockdown, People score it 10-8. That means and that's exact knockdown is worth one point in one situation and three points in another situation. When people say a knockdown isn't worth only one point, it's how you judge it. No, it's not. Because if you score a second knockdown, everybody universally scores it 10-7. If you score a third knockdown, everybody universally scores it 10-6. Now, if these knockdowns were worth, were worth two points or three points, like people are mistaken, a double knockdown round will be a 10-6 round three knockdowns will be a 10-4 round doesn't even happen knockdowns are worth one point and when you're scoring rounds and arguing about them you've got to know that if someone's losing a round and they score a flash knockdown technically it should be 10-10 maybe 10-9 at worst 
Well, it's not an automatic 10 8, and that's where people really annoy me when they I've, talk about it like and they don't understand it. I'll throw to Johnny. I'll be very quick. I brought this up last week, John, a similar thing. And I've referred to Tommy Frank Craig Derbyshire, where Craig's absolutely walking the fifth round and he gets dropped by a little, little knockdown, good shot to the body, and everyone scores it 10 8. He was walking the round. What do you think, Mr. Evans? Well, I agree 100%. Yeah, we mentioned it last week, didn't we? And the worst cases are where someone's winning around. Nothing much happening, but, you know, we're on top. And then it's just a flash knockdown, you know, where it's a clip on the top of the head. The knee touches down and instantly on TV, the scorecard comes up and they've lost around 10-8. Yeah, you're dead so right. So they're saying that it's, knockdown's worth three points. It's exactly, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's a, such a massive swing for what can just be a flash knockdown. The only clean shot the other guy lands in a round. And yeah, it's, it's dead right. It, we, it, we could also get back into even rounds and stuff. People don't seem to score even rounds anymore. But if you're... Losing around and but you score a knockdown. What's wrong with a 10 10? It should be 10 10 because a knockdown yeah. is worth one point, a yeah. second knockdown is worth one point. If you're winning the round, the exact same knockdown is only worth one point. Yeah. Was it worth two points or even three points because of how the round's gone? It's real, really annoys me, really, especially when people discuss it like they know exactly what how it works. Then two knockdowns like that cost Craig Derby should a British title 10 yeah. 11 days ago. There you go. Um, round four over to you. A bit of Conor Ben, John. Yeah, Conor Ben and Van Heerden. Um, I've seen a bit of criticism about this Van Heerden matching uh, for Conor Ben, and yeah, it's not the most, it's not the sexiest fight in the world, is it? It's not going to get people on the edge of a seat. But I just think it's it's pretty smart, you know. If you think where Ben came from a long time ago, they're not going to put him in a fight he can lose until it's a world title fight. I, I don't know why people have even got that in their minds. Ben's going to be kept unbeaten, unwinning until that world title, ideally a winnable world title fight, presents itself. I just think it's it's pretty smart, really. You know, he gets to go against a guy who's durable, who's been in with someone like Spence. It might have been years ago. He gets to work on different things. Um, yeah, I don't see what's wrong with it. I think we've got to remember where Ben came from, where the final destination is, and this is just another stop on the way. I, I, it's just the way it's the way Ben's career is going, and I don't really see too much wrong with it. No, he, he, they're doing a good job there, and Conor yeah. Ben is one of the few fighters who have actually been developed. Yeah. The way that uh, Frank Warren used to be famous for for taking a fighter and developing him and getting the right fights, the way he probably learns off Mickey Duff. That's kind of gone out the window in the last few years. It's kind of become like a fast food franchise. Get them in, throw them in yeah. a big fight, put them in an even one. If they lose, move them on, get the next one in. Yeah. Conor Ben is one of the few fighters that has been properly developed and has actually improved because of that de like development in fights. Do you know what I think? He's, do you know what I think Ben's benefited from, John? There seems to be matchmaking these days. It's all done on comparison. You know, he beat him. How's he going to do against him? You know, can he better his result against him? Whereas Ben's been kept away from that and just bought along his own path. I think there's too much comparison in matchmaking these days. Look, I said, I've been saying for ages, John, and I've said it on the pod when we first started out on this, he's been the best match fight in Britain. Best match fighter in Britain. You look at the matchmaking, like who was the guy he fought on the um, Headley Cricket Ground show, I think it was. Was given a hard 10 rounds, real great learning fight. And, you know, people are, are going in two-footed on Van Erden. As you say, it's not the sexiest fight. But was, and, you know, he, the last few years, he's, you know, Chris has beaten a procession of club fighters and Africans with padded out records. But he's still not lost, I don't think, since Errol Spence. When was that? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah. 
Yeah, Van Heerden's a tough fighter. Yeah, and, you know, he's been around. Yeah, yeah. Van, Van Heerden, he's going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, isn't he? And we get to see something different from Ben. Molina went the distance by staying away and just not getting involved. But Van Heerden does get involved. So you get to see something else. Can Ben take out a durable guy who's been at the weight for years? Yeah, I, I just think it's getting a... Like I say, it's not it's not going to have you on the edge of your seat, I don't think. But I think it's a solid test for Ben. Yeah, they're a good match, but look at the Sammy Vargas. Took Khan 12 rounds, dropped him, balled him in for Ben, jumped on him, knew he'd fa- he was faded and did him in the round. You saw how far I was I saw Vargas his last fight, so you know, and he was faded badly. You know, great matching. Um, round five, uh, Daniel Dubois, um, the dong, the hell Don King could call for him. Um, I just don't know what to me make of this 3.16 million that Don King's bid for the fight against Trevor Bryan, the WBA regular champion. I mean, he beat Frank by seven hundred thousand dollars, which isn't just how you should win a purse bid, and Don's got history of just delaying these fights, delaying it. The WBA have said it's got to it's got to take place by July 28. Don King's already talking of going to court first because he don't agree with a 55-45. And you know what? I'm worried about the effect this has on Daniel because he can't fight now. If he goes and has a fight now, John Pegger, correct me here. You know, because he's got this fight mandated. You know, he could lose it. You, you, that fight, if we went out have a fight, and he could be stuck now, Daniel, till the end of this year. And what's worrying me, since he got beaten by Joe Joyce, was it November 2020, he's had less than six minutes of action. You know, and he could go into this fight next year, so, no, later this year, so undercooked. Uh, and it really worries me for him. I just don't get Don King's about 107 years old. He's got no time to be delaying things. You know what I mean? You think he'd want to get a heavyweight title fight as quick as possible. When's he going to do another one? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah he, he needs Brian to somehow get past Dubois and just cash out against the biggest name possible, doesn't he? I, I can't even begin to imagine where he's plucked that figure from. How many tickets you know are he sell in America? I <laughs> so don't get as well. get his money back, is he? Don King is obviously still a wealthy man, the amount of money that he nicked off foxes and stuff like that. What I don't get, if he's doing this, he's doing it for a bit of, like, nostalgia, ego. He's, you know, at 90, he's doing it because he enjoys it. He's not doing it for the money. He's got more money than he could ever spend. Why don't he just get the fight on? If you want to put a heavyweight title fight on to feel like a big-time promoter again, don't delay it for a year. Don't mess it up. Just put it on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't get it. It just really worries me for Daniel here because he, he needs rounds. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm not, obviously I'm not saying Brian is, is any sort of a, a great heavyweight, but to go into him with just six minutes of action in maybe two years by the time the fights come around, you know, can put you at a disadvantage. You think there's any, you think there's any um, tactic in maybe dragging it out long enough so that Dubois is a very dangerous mandatory, isn't he? Do you think uh, there's any sense in dragging it out so that Dubois gets bored and goes a different route and they can get an easier fight? That's possible. Or Frank th- might have to go that route because Frank's in, Frank's in the Dubois business long-term, not short-term. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think they're trying to drag it out so he goes off and does something else and yeah. they defend against another Don King guy or something. I don't know. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all there. Um, um, round six over to you, John. It's flown by this tonight. Yeah. Right. What I want to talk about here, because I was at the Midlands area council meeting yesterday, and I believe it was like the last of the Olympians who were actually going to go pro. I think there's one left, Charlie Davidson, who's staying amateur. Ben, ben Whitaker was in there getting his licence. 
now they've all gone pro and some of them, some of them have had a fight or two. Who do we think's going to really shine out the crop of the, the record-breaking crop of Olympians we've got? I really think, for me, the pick of the crop, the one who I think for circumstances and what she can do, I think Lauren Price is going to be the one that everyone yeah. says at the end of it, man, she's really done some of that. I think she's something special. Yeah. Um, I agree with you because you can be rushed, win a world title very quickly. She could almost be a bit like Lomachenko, win it, third, full fight, whatever. You know, you could match her. She, she, she was outstanding at the Olympics. She's obviously outstanding. She hasn't rushed into a decision. Um, of the others, um, Galau Yafai has already got, already got a fringe belt. You know, it's inevitable that he'll fight for a world title, I'd say, within 14, 15 months. Fraser Clark, you can, you can, you can rush. Because of his age, and he'll want to be rushed. You could almost Joe Joyce matchmake him. Uh, um, ben Whitaker, he's going to be the one I think people will watch because he's got that bit of Marmite personality. So whether he does it or not, but people might watch it, watch him just to see him get beat, and some will like him. I quite like him myself, but I know he's not everybody's cup of tea. He's the sort of guy who might do with James DeGale on his debut, get in the ring, throw his amateur vest in the crowd or something. Yeah. <laughs> or he's. You know, I was going to say exactly what I said. I think for the way the sport is these days, Whitty could probably get the most eyes on him. Um, Galal may, may be the most talented, but he's going to be in hard, hard fights, isn't he? You know, um, he's not going to sail through that flying super flyweight divisions untouched. He, he was getting touched in his in his debut. Um, Lauren Price is the most talented. The Welsh yeah. people will get right behind her, won't we, as well? You know, she could be headlining in Cardiff. I think she can go up and down the weights as well. Yeah. So I, I think, I, I think everything going for us accomplished. Ben Whitaker might have the most eyes on him, and Galal Yafai might just be the most talented. So I think. What about McCormick? What about what do you, you, do you guys think of McCormick? Yeah, training with uh, with Ben Davidson. He's, apparently, from what you hear, he's Richard Schaefer says he's the next. Um, did he call him the next Delahoya? Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, phenomenally talented, but. If, if he sticks to the game, if he stays motivated... Yeah, that's and what I hear. I mean, I, I don't know him, but that's what I'm told. It's just uh, sticking at him and keeping his head down. I think, you know, when he's at Ben Day, he'd have his head down. But, you know, you can't watch these kids 24-7. And, uh, you know, it's down to him what he does. Pete McGraw will, will have to see Caroline Dubois. She was there, wasn't she, at the Olympics? Yeah. You know, she, she could have a very, very good career. Yeah, it's an interesting crop. I think we'll see some champions by the end of it, two or three years' time. I like, always wonder um, what Fraser Clark's going to do because I remember an interview of him a year ago, and he was, he was. Yeah, you know, I got the impression to him it was all about getting in and out as quick as he can and, and amassing as much money. I think I think he'll be working on on the TV on the punditry afterwards. He's a yeah. real character, Fraser is. Yeah, he's a nice fellow, and I just wonder how quick... I, I think he's one who'll be happy to move really quick as well, John. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. All right, then, fellas, well, that flew by again this week. John Pegg, would you come on again in a couple of months? Um, yeah, whenever you need me, I'm there, mate. Yeah, and congratulations to your daughter getting so much TV work as well. That's fantastic for the proud family, I guess. Yeah, she's doing good. She's doing good. She's having good fun. That's good. And uh, John Evans, thanks to you. Thanks to the Hearns Duran poster that reminds us um, um, every week about. I don't see what that one is there. Is that isn't oh, an old one. athletic I'll, I'll one, some, is it? I'll, I'll give you good ones. We have so a, got... a, a tour of John's room, John's uh, I think his office or living room. 
the, the best poster ever made, that, isn't it? Hagler Leonard. Yeah, yeah, you got. You got Leonard Hearns. Yeah. You got Hagler Duran. We're seeing a real theme here, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah we are. Yeah. Here. Well, the best, the best one, the pride of thing is only the hardcores know whoa, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, and these are all from on site, these. You know, all originals from the night, no reproductions here. But Salvador See, Sanchez... Way, if you was up more way, you'd have to have a Sanchez Cowdell poster to be considered special, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say, well, you look at the posters now, Ron Clexi, Son and When I was a kid and, you know, growing up, I'd have, I'd, have, I'd, have a, I'd used to have posters in my room when I was about 18, 17, 18. You know, I have, I, you know, Fulham football posters on the wall. I had Southern Area title posters, some Manor Place bars with Albert Hillman and stuff <laughs> like that, and uh, Harry Cowop headlining the uh, headlining the Bill um, Elephant and Carshall Leisure Centre and T.P. Jenkins, these sort of guys. You know, the small hall boxes of the eighties. That was me. That shows that shows how old I am. You know, it's Elephant like and Castle on a Monday night, like great greatest well. night of boxing ever. Sham 69 I had books. on it as well. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got a, I, I was pure albums to the punk and the collection's still upstairs, mate. The punk collection, some valuable stuff up I, there. I, I was more, I was more of a scrapbook man than a posters man. I used to keep scrapbooks a lot on the boxing. Really, yeah, I was boxing posters and I've lost them all over the years. So I moved, I've lived in so many places over the years. Uh, I've hardly got any now, a lot and a few and that stuff. But um, my, my big thing was cricket autographs when I was a kid. Yeah. Believe it or not, I had a book like that, with an, and I've, I've lost a book somewhere over the years, and it was incredible, this book. And now I used to go to the Oval and Lords at half eight in the morning just to get cricketers autographs when I was a kid. There you go. That's, that's what we, I do. Yeah, we, are to, we are talking like uh, Viv Richards and people like that. We're not talking like the Surrey wicketkeeper on a Thursday oh, morning. No, we're talking Jeff Poycott when my dad would cut out the picture of Jeff Coycott hitting a four, and he didn't hit too many of them, because, you know, Jeff was a bit of a defensive king. And what, I, and what Jeff used to do, he was a bit of a fucker, Jeff Boycott, right, to get an autograph, right? Bearing in mind, I'm only five foot eight. I'm not the strongest kid in the world. I've never was. Look at me, you know? Um, and what he'd do, he'd park up at the Oval, right? And he was captain of Yorkshire, sort of visiting Skipper's fucking car park there, visiting Skipper. And, of course, they're there for three days playing. It had this fucking big metal case, right? Right? A heavy, heavy for a 14-year-old to carry, or 13 in 1975, right? 76, when he was playing for Yorkshire. Fucking enormous. And you had to carry it right up to the top of the pavilion at the Oval. It was an old wooden stairs. No lifts in them days at the Oval. And then the fucker would give you one autograph, wouldn't give you a second. <laughs> Anyway, that's a bit of cricket talk. We cover everything on this podcast. I heard, anyway. a, I heard a story, funny story about Boycott's chest when they were in India. And all, all the players had food poisoning and, and Boycott would never come down to the restaurant to eat with them. But he was fine. He was perfectly happy. And one day someone kicked in his door and we found him eating a load of Dundee cake and tin beans. And he'd been hiding it all, keeping it from them so that they were all ill and he was all <laughs> he, he weren't the most popular guy in dressing room to work <laughs> out, I don't think, but a great batsman. And someone who loved the cricket, I could watch him all day. But there you go. That's that's my real passion, cricket. Besides Fulham, is cricket. Anyway, thanks a lot, fellas. John, thanks as always for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Evans. And we've got Bradley Ray on next week. He's been on a stag do um, 
and he's been promising to come. He rested me last week, said he'll do in two weeks. So thanks very much, fellas. All the best for the matchmaking, training, managing, John. Thank you, everyone, and thanks for listening. For all boxing, info, news, and latest interviews, amateur and pro, across and off, click and subscribe. VIP Boxing Promotions. Also, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.